And he says, the hell's that? <laughs> I said, I said, it's time for me to fly by REO Speedwagon. He says, what the hell's an REO Speedwagon? <laughs> he says, the hell is that record? He says, get that off the radio station. He says, find a wow. phone. Oh, no. I'm with the guy 10 minutes. He says, find a phone and get that record off the radio station. So you've got, you're fresh from picking him up at the airport. Now you got to mm-hmm. go find a pay phone to call the studio. Uh-huh. What are you thinking to yourself? I think I'm <laughs> <laughs> Ben's Town President Dave Chachi Dennis loves radio and all of his radio friends. Hey, Chachi. Hey, everybody. Because Chachi loves everybody. <laughs> Oh, we're, we're recording. All right, let me, let me kick this thing okay, off, if you great. don't mind. I um, want to welcome Joel Denver, who just is a, a terrific guy. I'm really excited to have this conversation, but let's, let's start. I actually had someone give me a little bit of feedback on the podcast, and I want to listen to the, pod, or listen to the feedback to make sure this podcast sounds <laughs> as good as it possibly can, but someone said I need to do a better job, basically kind of just setting the table. So first and foremost, I'm going to get some business, and then we're going to, we're going to chat. Okay, but, great. Uh, Joel Denver, for those of you who don't know, and I can't believe there's many people that don't know, but president, publisher, and co-founder of the All Access Music Group. Uh, he founded it in 1995, and it's now the number one destination for both the radio and music business. Uh, it's where I go every day. Actually, sometimes multiple times a day. Oh, thank you. Get uh, everything from uh, news and uh, ratings, love uh, reading or uh, your power interviews, but just a, a great site. I can't wait to talk more about that. Oh, thank you. We're going to break this up into basically, and I hope you don't mind, but I put your life into three different chapters. So chapter one, we're going to talk about your radio career. Okay. Chapter two, uh, we're going to go into R&R and uh, your consulting. And then chapter three, uh, all access. So, yeah, excellent. That sounds good. That sounds like a lot of fun. This should be a good. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to do this. Uh, oh Chachi. my God. I have a couple of questions for you though. So oh, you're, okay. not, you're, you're not getting <laughs> off with this, just, you know, asking me, you know, putting me on the hot seat. De- so. Deal. You can, you okay. can ask away, but <laughs> let's kick it off. We have your favorite cocktail. What are we drinking? Uh, we're drinking uh, some Tito's and tonic with a couple of limes. Dude, salute. Salute to you, sir. There you go. Day drinking and I'm thinking of you. No. <laughs> <laughs> we have the uh, the icebreaker. By the way, thanks to Kevin, our producer. This ice is really special. Kev oh, yeah. actually makes it. It's one big solid cube and uh, it's completely crystal clear. He's got his own uh, patented way of doing I it. I like that. It's, over my head. You making money on that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's still working here, unfortunately. No, I see. But, okay. Well, unfortunately for him, fortunately <laughs> for me. <laughs> but uh, let's talk so much to, to cover in, in your life. And uh, by the way, thank you. It's the very first day and something I just greatly respect what you do for your entire staff. But oh, thanks. Joel closes down for the vast majority of December. Mm-hmm. And we're right now, it's uh, Wednesday. Is the 11th today? Yep, it is. Yeah. And you've now shut down for right. the rest of the year. Yeah. And your first day of vacation, you come to see me. I'm sorry to ruin that for no, you. No, <laughs> this is good. I mean, listen. I mean, I've got, I've got, you know, I've got, you know, some meetings and things. You know, I'm kind of like, I just, you know, I never quite stop. You know, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm going on vacation. We're going to go to a Dominican Republic. Oh, and fantastic! I'm absolutely not taking the computer. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna really try and step back. I mean, I have the phone, so if I have the junky thing, you know, sure, that, you know that, but. Um, I'm definitely going to try and uh, you know step back from it all. Where did this whole thing start taking the, the whole month off? I honestly, I look up to you for doing it because I think it's such a great morale builder and all of us work so hard during the yeah. year. But that's not being a business owner myself. Mm-hmm. That's not an inexpensive proposition. No, and, it, it isn't. And, you know, what it comes down to is the charts, you know, basically the last, you know, ad day. You know, we collect, you know, the, the industry bases everything upon airplay and ads, which are commitments to to airplay. And when they stop taking those reports, we go like, oh, okay, we get a break. 
And this year, and it always works on the calendar. Sometimes it's two weeks. Sometimes it's three weeks. This year, it's a three-weeker. And, you know, because there's no other business to get out there, nobody else is chasing music at this point. Uh, maybe some of the labels, I think, are still open and working a couple of things. Sure. But, I mean, they basically get a couple of years off. So it's kind of like you're adjusting to the um, just the, the business. You know what I mean? The business itself takes a pause. So you got to take a pause. And I don't mind doing it. I mean, I listen, I like the time off. And I know the staff loves the time off. So it's they, good. They do. We work, yeah, as you know, with some of your staff members, Matt and uh, Paul. And right. I, you're being humble about it. And I'm sure a large part is what you say. But I also know that's a it's a really nice gesture on your part to your employees. And I think that that's yeah. uh, incredibly admirable. Well, I'm, I'm really blessed. I mean, the staff is just terrific. Uh, um, a lot of them have been with me 20 plus years. I mean, we start our 25th year in January. Oh my, congratulations. Thank you. That's Thank incredible. You. Yeah. I can't so, believe it's been, I guess so 1995. It makes yeah, sense. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, um, I, I mean, it sort of snuck up on us and I went, we need a logo. <laughs> <laughs> so we did that at the last minute that we were looking at it as how it's going to look on the site on January 1st and stuff. And I'm going to put a little story up there and just, Oh, that's everybody. awesome, man. Yeah. So it's like, but I mean, I really haven't, uh, you know, done a whole lot of other, you know, things around it. It's just like, I'm proud about it. I'm, you know, I'm humbled about it. And, uh, you know, and we're blessed. We're, we're really blessed that, that people yeah. have, people like what we do. Well, thanks so. for, thanks for making us other guys that don't give their staff off the, all of December look, <laughs> look like shit, but you got, uh, a high <laughs> bar, you got a high bar now, right? Okay. Buck up, buddy. One story, uh, a personal story about you. Uh, and again, just, I think speaks volumes about what a terrific human being you are. And then we'll get into uh, your, your whole career here. Um, as you know, I was the uh, program director of uh, MyFM slash KBIG. And I uh, can't believe it's going to be 11 years. By the wow. time we release this in January, it'll be 11 years. Uh, I was laid off. It was on President mm -hmm. Obama's inauguration day. Wow. And uh, it honestly just kind of T-boned me. It, it hit me out. I wasn't expecting it. Right. I think I was kind of... Uh, um, Looking back at it, probably a, a lot of ego, and I should have seen it coming, but I did not. At any rate, you learn, as I'm sure many of us have in this industry, when you uh, are no longer in a position, you find out who your friends are oh, yeah. and who your friends aren't. And I will never forget you reaching out to myself and one of my dear friends, Ardup. And you invited us out to Malibu, and you took us to lunch. Uh, the restaurant uh, right there on the ocean. Yeah. You go down that little cove. Yeah, that's a Paradise Cove. Paradise yeah. Cove. Right. Mm -hmm. And I will never forget you doing that. And I thought that was just such a cool thing. And I wanted you to know how much that oh, meant to me. Thank you. Thank you. It's, you know, it, it's it's funny. You know, um, I know a lot of people, and, and it's been I'm blessed to know a lot of people. But, you know, you, you pick up on a vibe on people as— as you go through life and stuff like that. And I always just had a nice friendship and, and vibe about you and our dub. So I went, eh, come on out, man. It's like, it was just, it just seemed like the right thing to do and just go hang out a little bit and get away from oh. it. Cause I mean, you know, it's just, uh, you know, I'm kind of blessed that, you know, that, um, uh, you know, um, we're, we were in the location we we're in and people want to come out and visit us and stuff like that. So it, uh, it just all made a lot of sense and I was happy to do that. And, and it put a smile on your face. That was good. So, it, you know, that's, that's, you know, you you really don't get a whole lot of gratification daily in life, but if you feel that you have made a difference for somebody, that's a great deal of gratification. So eleven years later, man, I absolutely remember that, and it honestly changed my course of action on how I reach out to people, and I make it a point um, to send them a card. Uh, mm -hmm. For a while, I was actually sending a book called uh, "We Were," fi I think it was called "Fired Up," and it was mm -hmm. a story Harvey McKay had written the book, and it was I think fifty different stories of people who had been let go and then went on to do amazing things. Oh, 
That's great. And uh, I, I honestly, I learned that from you. you know? Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, yeah. It's no. awfully nice of you to say that. So. Like, likewise, my friend. Let's, let's get into All you right. in, your, in your childhood. Uh, so we're going to go into chapter one about okay. uh, the, the radio portion of your career. So you're 15 years old. Right. And you land your first gig at uh, INX in Rockville, Maryland. Yep. Mighty how did, Winks. <laughs> how did that come about? How did, you, uh, how did you get interested in radio? Well, I was... Um, I had a really weird thing happen. I got up from the dinner table one night and my left leg decided not to work. And it was just like, really? I mean, it was, I really was limping around. And as, so, a, as a child? Yeah, as a child, I was 14. Oh my gosh. And, um, and it was, it was, and we went to, to a doctor and he says, I don't, I, you know, they had limited stuff that they could, they didn't have CAT scans and stuff like that back then. So um, he put me in the hospital and they were going to do some, you know, some testing and stuff like that. And there was a, um, and, and meanwhile, I mean, my leg atrophied to the size of my arm very fast. Holy moly. So, you, I mean, at 14, I'd be, it was a free panic. It was really, yeah, I, I don't know. I, don't, I can't remember whether there was a panic about it, but I was concerned. And my mom was very concerned. And I was, you know, and I got, I was, you know, walking around on crutches. So they put me in the hospital and they decided to do, um, uh, just do some testing and stuff like that. And I remember one night, I was sitting there uh, and I had no feeling in the leg either. That was the other thing that was interesting. So, and it wasn't just tactile feeling. It was like you could punch on it and you wouldn't, I wouldn't, I just was dead. It was almost like, a, it was almost like a, a paralysis. It, it was, it wasn't quite a paralysis because I could move it some, I couldn't move my toes. I could move the leg slightly, but I didn't have any strength in it. So I'm sitting there and I remember, I remember this very, uh, very vividly. They came in and I was watching War of the Worlds on television. Okay. And the guy next to me was a construction guy and he screwed up his arm. So he was in those big casts. This is before they did, you know, uh, laparoscopic surgery or that, you know, the pinholes sure. where they really cut you up back then. And we were watching more of the worlds. And this guy says, he's, I'm going to go examine your foot a little bit. I said, okay, fine. So I was watching that up there and I hadn't felt it, but he had like, you know, 10 army square needles punctured into my leg and foot and all this. And he says, you didn't feel any of that, did you? I said, no. I mean, he, I mean, and, and those are, those are big, long needles and they were square. They weren't, then they make a, they make a little bit of a mark on you, you know, when you, when they punch them in there. And, and I, and, 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 I, and I said, well, why did you do that? He says, well, he says, one of your doctors thinks that you're faking. <laughs> he says, he says, he says, yeah, he says, you're not faking. He says, he says, that would have made a grown man wince. He says, he says, look at this. He said, and he had one of them like jammed into like the arch of my foot. Oh my God. So anyway, so um, two days later, they scheduled me for some surgery and they went, they, they, um, they did, they'd done a series of x-rays and they said, we think you have a fatty deposit over here on the left side of your leg. And that's what I did have. I had this large fatty tumor <clears throat> and it was pressing on the, on that nerve. And so they went and it was not a long surgery, but they have a, have a scar. It's, oh, I don't know, it's about 12, 12 inches long on the left side of my leg. My and, gosh. Uh, yeah, and they uh, and they uh, excised that uh, that fatty tumor out of there. It was benign. Yeah, thank God. And uh, and you know when I left the hospital, I left the hospital on crutches and special shoe with a brace. Okay, so, like Forrest, so here, it looked yeah. like Forrest Gump kind of brace. Yeah, like, okay. well, kind of. Yeah, it's like you know, and uh, um, you know, and it was because uh, ugly shoes to wear and stuff like that. So right. I'd, I'd missed like three weeks of school. So um, I mean, I you know, I caught a lot of either like taunting or or you know sympathy when I got back to school. But anyway, but during the during my time in the hospital, I got very 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 bored with um, uh, the TV. And I started listening to radio and I just started calling up the, you know, the request lines and stuff like that and being a pain in the ass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, 
And at WYNX, they had a thing that was called Request-O-Matic. And, okay. Oh, no, that was WPGC, but they had the instant request at, uh, at Winks. And um, so I was always on all of those things. And, and the midday guy at, uh, at Winks, uh, he and I be- just became friends. And he says, he says, he says, what are you doing? Like, are you not like working? And I, my voice had already dropped. And, uh, and I was doing these things. And I said, no, I said, I'm, I'm 14 years old. He says, oh, my God. I said, I want to get into radio. So he says, well, he says, you know, I'll tell you a little secret. I'm leaving here, and I'm going to go work at WDON, which is up in Wheaton, Maryland. Okay. And which is like five minutes from where I lived. So my mom brought me in to, to meet him, and I've got this, you know, crutches and all that stuff. And, I, and I, we were talking and stuff, and I, I said, I want to learn to do what you're doing. So we cut a deal that if I would come in on Saturday nights and file his albums away, because he went to work for a good music station, WDON uh, was a good music station at that time. Uh-huh. Um, and he said, uh, and, and he said to me, he said, if you'll come in and do that, he says, I, he says, we'll teach you how to run a control board. So I used to file, it was the, every Saturday night for like months, I would go up there and file his albums away. So at midnight on Saturday night, he could get right out of there and go home. And he taught me how to run a control board and critique my tapes and stuff. And then I was just obnoxious. And I, you know, walked, you know, went to every, and once that brace came off my leg a couple of weeks later, I just went around to every radio station and, you know, Jerry Bolding, who worked for us for many, many years and did our urban section at, uh, at, our, at All Access, he was uh, doing middays at WOL in Washington. So I took a bus down there and, you know, it was like, it was like studio like here with like, you know, in the lobby and there's right. a big studio window there. And I was this window licker standing out there just like, you know, <laughs> pressing my nose against the glass and, and so, there's Jerry Bolding and he finally came on out and says, Hey, how you doing? I'm Dr. Jerry Bolding, you know, and all that stuff. I said, hi man, I'm, you know, Joel and blah, blah, blah. And he said, well, come on in. And I sat there with him for like a half hour or something like that. You know, and as we've talked about, we, you know, when he was alive, we used to talk about that years ago. But he took an interest in me. And I really, I knocked on every door in that town. I finally just, you know, knocked on, you know, this, this, my, my favorite little radio station just up the road, up in Rockville. And they finally relented and says, all right, we'll let you run the God Squad on Sunday morning. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like, a, it was like the first thing I had to do. I had a 15-minute newscast. So this was back during, you know, and there's a teletype. Okay. So, uh, you know, I'd come in and the, they ran the all-night show from the, from the transmitter because you had to have a first-class license and they would hire somebody and they had a little ramshackle studio down there and he'd take, he would, he would watch, take the meter readings on this AM radio station. Anyway, so I'd get in the morning and there was like just tons of unattended AP wire. Okay. You know, stuff. And ripping stuff like that. And so... I mean, the first thing I had to do was like a 15-minute newscast. I mean, that was just... Oh, you were actually doing the newscast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then I had a half hour of jocking, and then I ran... I ran board for this guy Tex Asbury and your gospel favorites. I spun all these. The oh man, this, then, so you're just like a utility player at Wings. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then you know, and then I had another another hour of jocking, and then I got off at noon. And then you know, I did that for a few weeks, and they really they thought I was making really good progress, so they asked me to to come in and and um, you know do um, do overnights Friday night Friday night Saturday morning, and you know Barry Richards, who was a legend in our business. Sure. Uh, I've known Barry since I've been 15 years old. And, you know, I called a Barry, and my name on the air at that time was Rick Price. And, well, I like yeah, that, Rick yeah, Price. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a great name. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so uh, so I called a Barry on the hotline, and uh, and I said, Barry, I said, uh, this is Rick. He says, I know who you are, that little punk tar- part-timer. And I, <laughs> I said, I said, well, I said, I got to go on at midnight tonight. He says, yeah, your first big shift. And I said, yep. And he says, he's, well, he says, you can watch from the production room because you're going to come here and mess me up. I went, okay. So I didn't care. I wasn't going to argue. I 
was a window licker again from the production room <laughs> looking in at, at Barry Richards, the boss of the hot sauce. He was the biggest DJ in D.C. at the time. So anyway, he kept turning around, turning around. Finally, he just waved me in there and he says, all right, sit down there at the end of the end of the table, but don't say anything. He says, I don't want you fucking me up. <laughs> I said, fuck. Sorry. Uh, hey, no, it's all it's, good. Okay, That's the beautiful the, thing about a podcast. I know, right. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so... Uh, <clears throat> So 20 minutes later, he starts talking to me, and we have been friends all of these years. So I've known him since, you know, a long time. So uh, that's a friendship that lasts. Anyway, so it's just, you know, it's just one of those things you just, I just, you know, I, I learned early on, be, you know, be be precocious, be, be you know, don't don't be afraid to put out there what you want. I've got to say, Joel, you're the first person to ever say to me that they got into the business because of a fatty tumor. <laughs> I know, right? I know, right? It's, I mean, it was just, I just got We're, bored with it. And I just thought, wow, what a cool job that would be. Play my favorite music and talk to people. And that's exactly how it worked. Were your parents supportive? Uh, my mom was very supportive. Yeah, she drove me up there because I didn't have a license at 15. She'd drive me all the time up there to the radio station. And once it was in your blood. It was some, all over. Yeah, there's something about this industry, I think, that does it to us all. And I can't, yeah. can't quite put my finger on it. Well, but. there's a thing, you know, at the radio station, there's camaraderie. You know, we all talk about the business a lot. There's a lot of things to talk about. There's the music. Oh, my gosh. How much fun is yeah. that? That's an excellent point. You know, we, we, we get to go places and do things that most people don't do. Um, you know, <clears throat> I've lived 20 lifetimes in this, in this lifetime. Yeah. No, you have, man. And I'm excited to get into more of these stories. Yeah, so, so how long are you at Winks? Uh, I was at Winks for um, about two years and I helped organize the union there and they proceeded to fire me. Can you believe <laughs> that? The audacity. Yeah, they fired me. And I went across the street to a WPGC and my friend Davey Jones, who was a friend of mine while I was at Winks, he and I are still friends to this day. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, he got me in there and uh, I was doing weekends and I was um, going to the University of Maryland. And by that point, and... Um, uh, my buddy Terry Steele, who was back at Winks, he says, you know, he says, you know how to get out of there. He said, you know, he says, what are you going to learn in college? And he was right. I only did a semester in college. And I said, screw it. I'm out of here. And that was it. That was it. And so you I just graduated college, you... I graduated high school, did, a, did one semester at University of Maryland, and I went down to Norfolk, Virginia. And that was where my full-time career started. And that, so you go to school, your parents upset about you dropping out of school? And yeah, your mom? And my mom was like, whatever you want to do. She, I mean, so she really had you. Do you have any siblings? Nope, just no. me. Gene Poole stops here. <laughs> <laughs> How did you feel when you were let go? Uh oh, from Winks? Yeah. I was devastated. I was just devastated. I was bummed. I cried my ass off. I was really bummed. But, um, you know, immediately the, the uh, opportunity was there to go to PGC. So that sort of made me feel better pretty quickly. Landed on your feet quickly. Yeah, yeah. and uh, yeah. So and at this I, this point, you're excited about. I mean, because you're doing a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. News. You're on air. It sounds oh, yeah. like yes. doing some production. Yeah. Did any one thing speak to you more than something else? I just love being on the air. That was. I just. I mean, I really enjoyed it. I loved it. I lived it. You know, I talked to people on the phones all the time. I never let request lines go unanswered. I mean, you know, I. You know, and I. You know, I did a lot of appearances. I did. You know, when I. You know, when I after went down to North, when I went to Norfolk, Virginia, that was the first thing that I was really made a lot of public appearances at because we had these um, these bar gigs it was, and go, sure. because it was a Navy town. Um, <clears throat> there's a lot of go-go bars there. Oh, fun! And so what you would do is you would go in and cut a deal, and we had a jock, we had a we had a go-go jock sheet, and it, it could run it could run a minute and a half long, and you got a quick mention, and each of these things ran five times a day for a full week. And you go in there and collect 50 bucks for that. It was oh. your $50. Awesome. So the station let you keep it. 
Oh yeah, it was great. And then you have to do an appearance on top of that. Sometimes not even. Uh, sometimes just go in and have a have a have a beer with the owner. So you know, and like, and I was, I mean, I was making two fifty a week cash. Oh, that's big money then. Are you kidding me? In the seventies, yeah. it was like it was, it was it was LFD, large freaking dough. So you're late teens, early twenties at this yeah. point. Mm-hmm. So you're yeah. just living high on the hog. Oh yeah, and you know, and I went down to Norfolk, Virginia, and it was there a year and a half, and then I went. Uh, uh, the next opportunity I had was to go to Big Ways in Charlotte, and I worked for the uh, wonderful, you know, J J uh, uh, Thomas. Oh sure. And I, at the time, it was really funny because uh, legendary Scott Shannon and J Thomas were battling for my services. They both wanted me to come work for them. No way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wait, tell me about that for a second. That's so you've got. I mean. I would be freaked out. I'm 44 and I'd be freaked out about that. You're in your early 20s yeah. and this is happening. I mean, so, what's going through your mind? So, so Scott Shannon was a program director at WMAK in Nashville on the AM radio station with a miserable signal. He wanted me to do nights. And and uh, at Waves in Charlotte, we were 5,000 and 1,000, 1,000 at night, but we're at 610. We had a monster yeah. signal day and night. And, and Jay offered me $25 a week more, which was a ton of money back then. Sure. And so I, I did that, and you know Scott was like, "That's all right." He's we'll, we'll cross paths somewhere down the line, you know. You know Scott talks, you know. Is and you know Scott's still my friend to this day. And Jay Thomas, I mean, I saw him a couple of years uh, out here. We'd come to have lunch every now and again. I saw him a couple of years before he passed away, and uh, had a blast down there. It was only there six months. Why? Why so short? Um, somebody said there's a jock opening at WFIL in Philadelphia. Oh. Bigger I, market, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah. Bigger. It was big time. And uh, so Stan Kaplan, who owned the radio station, uh, the deal was if I stayed there for a full year, I, you know, uh, he picked up all the moving expenses, but I you know, I'd had to pay him back. So I went into him and I said, I have this opportunity to go to Philadelphia and work at WFIL. And he says, he says, he's like, you know, you owe me the moving costs back. And <laughs> I said, yeah, I know. Can we work out something on that? He says, yeah. He says, I'll just give it to you. He says, good luck. And wow. it was great. And I spent four and a half years up there working for the one of the best people I've ever run across to in my life, Jay Cook. I can't say enough about Jay Cook. Jay Cook was a wonderful program director, wonderful friend, wonderful mentor. Um, you know, I learned a lot about how not only to be, but how not to be. That's. I mean, he had to have had a tremendous amount uh, of trust in you because that's a gigantic jump. Yeah. I mean, you're going to, at uh-huh. that time, what was Philly market? I was 21 years old. You're 21 in the top 10 market. Mm-hmm. And what was your position there? I was doing uh, 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., followed King George Michael. And George Michael got an opportunity about eight months into that job there to go to WABC in New York and do nights. And he took it. Now, George is also the music director, so... You know, Jay Cook announced this at the, at the staff meeting. He said, who wants to be music director? And I stuck my hand up and waved. And he said, all right, Joel, you got it. Because nobody else stuck their hand up because it's a lot of work. I mean, how are you at 21? You're in Philly, great city. I mean, what's your personal life right like right Personal now? life is like, holy crap, I'm working a lot and having a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing, I was doing, I was doing uh, dances on Friday nights. I was doing dances on Saturday night. I was doing dances on Sunday night. I was just, it was just great. Had a lot of fun. Oh my God. What Had a, a great lot of fun, time, you know? man. Uh, you know, my, one of my favorite dances was at Paul the Sixth High School in Collingswood, New Jersey. Um, I bought the dance from George. He, he named four dates and I had to give him the entire door. Really? So mm-hmm. like as a concert promoter type thing? Or No, it was it, just, you know, we would just, you know, right, it was dance. a dance. It was it, Dance hops, dancing was big in Philly. Okay. Really big there. 
And all the DJs had dances, you know, but I, I, you know, I got this big one from, I mean, there were nights we'd do 1,500 kids. Oh my God. So, and I, and I wanted to ramp it up a little higher. So I started the dance contest. So every six weeks I'd give away albums, which I had access to, to to the winners. And the winners were invited back in six weeks and they competed for stereo systems. Jeez, so it's, you're doing big promotions. Yeah, and so, yeah. so you know, and then at the end of the year, all of the six, all of the, all of the stereo system winners came back for television sets. Gee, and they would win based on their dancing ability? No, on audience. Oh, on it, audience. Okay. Oh, all right, all right. Who yelled yeah, the yeah. loudest? Who made the most noise? <laughs> so it's like American Idol when exactly. the, uh, the people voted. Yeah. How cool. I didn't, so how would you promote this? You would promote this on the air? Yeah, we were allowed to do that. Oh, what a blast, man. Yeah. Jeez. So you're in your early 20s. You've got your own dances. Yeah. You've got 1,500 kids coming through there mm-hmm. every we swelled that. We swelled that place one night to 2,400 kids. Jeez. Right? That's crazy. It was nuts. It was What freaking, a blast. And then would you actually, would you DJ the event? Yeah. Well, I, you know, actually I had a spinner. Okay. A guy, I had a, we call him a hop jock. And I had a, had, uh, and I had a spinner and uh, he were, they were terrific. And they bring the mu- music. They bring the equipment. I pay them. And I would just stand up there on mic and, you know, and interact with the kids. What a great time. It was a lot of fun. Man, and this goes on for four years. Four and a half years. What happened? I mean, that. I I left and got my first program director's job. Oh, shoot. So you, at that point, because now you're music director. Mm -hmm. So are you feeling more of a vibe for programming or? I just felt a vibe to move up, you know, and Charlie Lake, who was, um, um, who's still my dear friend, Charlie's programmed all over America. At that time, he was program director, national program director. Bartell Broadcasting. And um, he said to me, he said, hey, he says, he says, how'd you like to go to either Miami or St. Louis? I said, well, I said, Miami sounds like more fun. He says, <laughs> he says, you're going to walk into hell down there. He said, you sure you want to do that? I said, oh, come on, man, I can do this. So I did walk into hell. It was a really messed up radio station. What yeah. was wrong with it? Everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, no disrespect to my friend Jerry Clifton. Jerry Clifton was the program director ahead of me. And Jerry had um, um, announced and given away tickets to two different concerts that never came off. So the city was pissed. They were in trouble with the FCC. What do you mean they never came? The concerts never even happened. Never happened. Didn't oh, have man. contracts for them just, you know, because they had no budget. Oh, geez. <clears throat> so this is so, almost like the uh, pre-fire fest. Oh, yeah. 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 So there was, a, and they were in trouble for a couple of other things that had happened. There was a, um, it was a, it was a, it was a, I can't remember the guy's last name, but it was go find Greg. You know, if they knew where he was going, he was out on the bay, in the Biscayne Bay. And if you identified where he was going next, you won money. Well, there was a squall that came up that afternoon and, um. Uh, he disappeared off the map, and he was actually safe, but they let it continue for a day and a half. Oh, man. And it got found out. And, and they eventually took the license from the station. Jeez. They took the license for a while. It's now, it's now Power 96, you know, but I mean, it's now WP. So when you come in, all this had happened, but they still have the license? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That didn't happen until I left. Uh, and I went to, I went to, I moved into the company. I fixed, I, um, I fixed the station in a year. Um, we were battling against a uh, legendary Y100 and Bill Tanner, who was an amazing DJ and, 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 uh, um, and program director. Sure. Amazing. I mean, radio yeah. market Miami's. Yeah. And so we, we, we actually beat him in Dade County, which had never been done. And, uh, you know, we focused on Hispanic leaning teens. That was our focus, you know, and Y100 was the, was in Broward County, which was the more suburban audience. You know what I'm saying? So their playlist was a little less dancey, but we focused really heavily on dance music and 
you know, and stuff like that and reaction records. And, you know, we had a hundred, this is a true story. We had a hundred thousand t-shirts that were given. We had access to there. When I walked into the radio station, they were stacked in my office. They were stacked in the hallways. It was 96 X and Coke. (laughs) And they were great t-shirts. They were red and, you know, logo on or logo on the front, Coke on the back. Was this new Coke era or no? This is just you know. Anyway, so Skip Skip Tash, who was the uh, um, who was the sales manager, hooked it up. I was like, great. I said, what do we have to do? How do we have to give these away? He says, anything you want to do. So you know, what we used to do. We used to give away T-shirt blasts, and so we would roll down Miami or any of the any of the um, um, the parking lots, and we would just start chucking them out <laughs> the back, and people were running along and grabbing. They were everywhere. That's these T-shirts fantastic. were everywhere. So. But the, the first thing when I when I remember when I got to the radio station, and um, the the GM had left the key to the station, and I got into the station and I walked in and it was a welcome note from him, a couple of notes about a couple things, and there was this big huge box and it was filled with files and he says don't give away anything on the air until these are all taken care of. I said what are these? Uh-oh. And, I, and you know what it was? It was it was unfulfilled winners. Oh jeez! So, <laughs> so it was like thousands of them. You oh, know, people that God. you know. Some of these people had won multiple albums. It was a multiple. You know, it was again unfulfilled stuff. So they were just giving away things that yeah, they didn't yeah, have yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> the prize to back it up. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! And so we're at, while you're there, obviously you've got the stress yeah. of running the station, turning right. the station around. But are you involved now with? Things going back and forth, the FCC. Or? Uh, no, that was kind of that, that. They kept that away from me because okay. it was just you know. But I mean, they just told me that I had to give these get these albums cleaned up, and we had to do two concerts too. So we had to make those concerts. Made those all. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So oh, you yeah. had what a tremendous amount of responsibility. Yeah, it was a lot of fun though. Were you on the air at the same time? Uh, no, I, but I would I would give um, I would give a part timer um, once a month off, and I would I pay him, and I would get on the air because I still had wanted to have the vibe of the radio station and stuff. So you know you. You can't, you know, you can't really feel it unless you do yeah, it, you know? Yeah, so. yeah, So at this point now in your career, you're feeling more programming. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so, and that was, you know, so that was my first off-air program director's job, and I spent like about a little over a year there. And they asked me if I wanted to move to San Diego, and I went, oh, yeah. Jeez, so Miami, oh, San yeah. Diego, tough so markets, to man. But it was an AM radio station, so, and it was like, it was getting its butt kicked by B100. Oh, uh, KCBQ. Yeah. Mm-hmm. KCBQ. Oh, yeah. Legendary yeah. radio station, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was... Uh, I lived out near the radio station in a semi-arid um, environment out there, which, which was really cool. It was like it was, you know, hot as hell during the day. And where, where in San Diego? In, in Mission Gorge. In oh area. yeah, sure, mm-hmm. sure. Because yeah. I was at that's where I got my start at KFMB down. There in San you Diego. go. So, yeah, yeah so great, I, that's a great market. It, yeah, it really is. So anyway, so you know, as I was at that radio station, we had Charlie and Harrigan in the morning. Sure. And uh, and they were just a real pain in the butt. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I've never, ever worked with high, uh, high maintenance, high maintenance yeah, uh, right, talent. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So, I mean, Lisa Fox, who was the overnight girl, she was terrific. She I, Lisa Fox is in here in L.A.? Lisa no, no. Fox. Different, oh. different, different Lisa Fox. Okay. And she would do their, their log. And she would like, you know, and, you know, I was an early riser, but she would like to slip it under my door, you know, at six 6.05 in the morning because she would, I lived literally three minutes on the radio station. And so I would like, follow along and see all the songs they'd skip and stuff like that. And of course, you know, it was just so much fun dealing with that. You know, it was just, I can't even begin to tell you. So. What did you learn though, as far as like working with huge talent like that? What are some lessons? You know, the lessons are, you know, don't, don't fight over nickels and dimes, fight for quarters and dollars. I mean, That's if you it. can't in life, if you can't figure out what's a nickel and a dime, yeah. 
then you really got some big problems. Really good point. Sometimes we spend so much energy fighting Uh, over little things. Yeah, pick your battles. It's another way of saying pick your battles, but it sort of visualizes it, you know, a little bit. Sure. You know, so. How long are you at uh, KCBQ? Um, I was there about nine months, and then they asked me to go to St. Louis. This is all Bartell. Yeah, it's all Bartell. So they really got a lot. Are you kind of like uh, the, what are the firefighters that they drop in the middle of the fire? (laughs) Yeah, smoke jumpers. Smoke jumper. Are you the smoke jumper for Bartell? I guess, well, you know, Charlie Lake loved what I was doing, and they liked what I was doing. And um, they said, we want you to go in and fix St. Louis. And I said, okay. I said, but, you know, you you want me to leave San Diego and go to cold St. Louis? (laughs) Really? So this was almost, it was almost like, well, what do you need? I, and it was almost a conversation of like, pull out a big roll of hundies and keep peeling until I say stop. <laughs> like, it was almost, it, they, doubled, they basically doubled my salary and, oh, bu- and, bought, and bought me a car. Are you serious? No, I'm really serious. That's a fan. And plus your money is going to go a lot farther in St. Louis than oh, San yeah. Diego. Oh, yeah. So I went Jeez. in, I went in there and, you know, in one book we turned it around. But then Bobby, Hat- Bobby Hattrick, you remember his name? And yeah. That Bobby Hattrick came in. And he identified uh, um, that you could be um, more targeted, you know, and he played sort of a pop rock format and that went over big in that town and kicked our ass. And I mean, I knew we were going to get our butts kicked. I just knew it. And I told the GM, I told the president of the company, but they didn't do anything about it. And so I'm sure the book came out and got our butts handed to us and guess who got fired? JB. No. <laughs> <laughs> so your run with Bartel finally came to, yeah, to an end, but uh-huh. that was, I mean, three different markets with them. Yeah, yeah. And then from there, you end up in Baltimore, correct? Yeah, I went to Baltimore, yep. And I uh, had an opportunity to put a station on the air, which was a real thrill to do. And, uh, you know, I lasted there uh, about six months. And that was because E. Carl, who was the uh, the guy that came in, and was, he was the guy who hired me, called me one day. He says, hey, I got some good news and bad news. I said, what's the good news? He says, I, he said the bad news is I'm leaving. He said, the good news, I'm going to work for uh, for Bill Moyes at Maggot Research. And I went, that's a uh-huh. great job. Anyway, he says, but you're going to love the guy that's coming in, Steve Roddy. I said, who's that? He says, oh, he programs Culf in Houston. I said, that's an AC radio station on AM. He said, yeah, but he says he knows what Top 40 is about. Well, Uh-oh. so I go pick him up at the airport. <laughs> and, you know, I'm a pretty casual guy. So yeah. I just, you know, pair of jeans on and, you know, just just being me. And he's got a suit on. He's got this fancy leather briefcase and he hands me the leather briefcase to carry on. Okay, whatever. So, you know, he's got a, you know, he's got a, he's, I could just tell he's a pretty straight guy. Right. Very brilliant guy because he runs House and Garden Television today. Oh, he's geez. a very smart guy. Okay. But he had no understanding of what Top 40 was. So we get in the car and there was no cell phones back in, in the 80s, late 79, 80s, something like that. So we're in the car and we're listening to the station and time for me to fly by REO Speedwagon comes on. And he says, the hell's that? <laughs> I said, I said, it's time for me to fly by REO Speedwagon. He says, what the hell's an REO Speedwagon? <laughs> he says, what the hell is that record? He says, get that off the fucking radio station. He says, find a phone. Oh, no. This is the first. I mean, I'm with the guy 10 minutes. He says, find a phone and get that fucking fucking record off the radio station. So you've got, you're fresh from picking him up at the airport. Now you got to go find a pay phone to call the studio. Uh Uh-huh. What are you thinking to yourself? I think I'm fucked. (laughs) 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 So I did it. And I said, and I said, uh, I said, take the cart, slide it under my door. 
And he says, and why aren't you playing Barbra Streisand and Neil Diamond, uh, you know, uh, oh, you don't man. bring me flowers anymore. I said, I said, because it doesn't fit what we're doing. He said, it's the number one record in America. I said, it was number one. He says, yeah, I know you have, you've refused to play that. I said, yeah. I said, because I said, we're a young end radio station. I said, WCAO's got that. I said, we're trying to make a mark here on the FM. It's like, we're the first top 40 FM in Baltimore at that time. Jeez. Okay. And I, and he just, you know, he immediately put that in and he ripped through the gold library and just, you oh, know. Man. So you went out there to run a CHR, new owner yeah. comes in and mm-hmm. he's ace, mainstream AC or uh, what would yeah. be mainstream. You know, Not you know, even mainstream he's, AC. He's would be a, a program. Yeah. yeah. So he's just all mainstream AC. Now. Anyway, so we get there to the radio station and he walks in my office and there's the cart and it's on my desk. He takes it and steps on the cart. He says, that ain't getting played again. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going like, boy, am I screwed here. So the GM and I, the GM and I had a pretty good relationship up until that point. We used to play uh, racquetball together. I'd go play racquetball and get my ass kicked, you know, and we go to lunch and stuff like that. Anyway, so they, um, um, they ended up, they, they just, uh, they found an inf- infraction that I had violated. I, um, I was given away, um, it was a brand new Rolling Stones album, and I gave it away that weekend, but Kemp Mill Records, who was the distributor that I worked the deal with, said, you're not going to have until Monday. Okay. So I broke a rule that I didn't have the prize in the radio station, and they fired me for that. Now, oh, you know, man. I mean, they were there Monday morning. And you had a commitment that you were going yeah. to get them. Yeah, so they just wanted the technicality they wanted to get me, you yeah. They didn't like the way I parted my hair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So I went, I lost that job and I was like, oh, geez. So I went back to St. Louis because my girlfriend at the time was, uh, was still had there and she was happy to see me and all this okay. stuff. And, you know, and then one day I'm out doing something and she, you know, she, when I get home, she goes like, look at this. And she circled this thing in the R&R. She says, they're looking for an opening in Washington. She's, you know, in, in the D.C. office. And I said, she says, you know Bob Wilson, call him up. So I did. And that's how, by the way, what a segue, man. You are a pro because we're going into chapter two yeah. about, uh, which, is, which is R&R and yeah. consulting. Now, was your girlfriend at the time, was that Rhea? No, that was uh, Bebop, Bebop Hobel. Bebop. Yeah, Bebop was, oh, we broke a really cardinal rule down there. She worked for the record for a record company as a promoter, uh, and, she was, <laughs> and she was living with a program director. So immediately, I had, immediately she put her release, herself on a real handicap. I did not add her music early. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. What a first, uh, so how old are you now? You've gone, you've been yeah, to probably half a dozen, a little bit yeah, more radio stations. 1979, 1980, I don't know, I guess I'm 52, I'm terrible with math, I'm 28 years old, something 28, like that. 28, yeah. and you've been to Miami, Philly, Baltimore, San Diego, mm-hmm. worked at some KCBQ, some yeah. amazing radio stations. Yeah, Norfolk, all that stuff, yeah. And so, now, you've lost your gig in Baltimore. Uh-huh, and I, and I was just over it, I was over tra- I was overdoing this, so I, I, um, I called Bob Wilson up, I said I want to apply for the job, he says, he says, apply for it. He says, I says, I'll probably just give it to you sight unseen. I said, no, no, I want to like, I want to meet the guy I'm working for. And, you know, Jonathan Hall. And uh, Jonathan Hall was a lovely guy, terrific guy. They flew me to New York and we had lunch at the Plaza Hotel. And before the, before the lunch was over, I had the job. So I moved and my mom was still alive and, and was living in the D.C. area. So I went back and stayed with her at her place for a couple of, couple of weeks till I found my own place. And, uh, you know, I was, I was there. My first, my first day on the job was September 21, 1980. And that was the first day of the deregulation hearings at the FCC. That was the first, oh, that was the first thing I had to do. So I'm, I had to go over there and put a coat and tie on. And Sure. That's a big, yeah. big story. So, uh, and, yeah. So it was like, you know, and Jonathan was with me. He was, but I called him pretty quickly and Bob called me up about three weeks into this. He says, he says, would you like to move to California? And I went, 
uh, yeah, what's up? He says, can't tell you. He says, but he says, at some point I'm going to call you and you're going to hire your replacement. I went, okay. So so he, let's go back to you're writing yeah. all your own stuff. Did you have any sort of background in writing? Nah, or I just, but you? I was a good typist. And, you okay. Know, and, I, you know, they taught me style and, uh, you know. And all of a sudden you get, I mean, and that's a major story, deregulation. Yeah. So you're fresh from radio. I mean, it's a pretty big, yeah. obviously it's within the industry still, but it's still a pretty big jump. You're now a journalist. No, no, but it's just, you know, but Jonathan was there to help guide me and stuff. He was terrific, you know, a great mentor. And, uh, you know, and I was, and I got very aggressive about um, doing interviews with people. I just would just, you know, knock on their doors and, you know, and I, I, while I was there, I think I interviewed like four of the seven or eight, you know, FCC commissioners at that point. So they were really impressed that I was like, want to get it and stuff. And, and, you so know, you're interviewing, I mean, heavy hitters. Yeah. And- oh yeah. So in November, uh, near the end of November, he called me, he said, he says, are oh, you need to be in LA in February 1st? He's, I said, what's the job? He says, you're going to be the new CHR editor. I was like, I really dropped the phone and John yeah. leader who was doing that. And I were terrific friends for years and years and years. We used to, we used to conference call about music and stuff. When I was in Philly, I used to put these conference calls together with the, with the program directors and we'd share information, music directors and stuff. And he was on the call. So anyway, so he said, you can't say a word and blah, blah. I said, okay. So I shut my mouth right? and I got in the car and I said, uh, can I write a column on the way out? And he says, yeah. So I did a cross country stop and I stopped in Roanoke and I stopped in Memphis and I stopped in Mobile and I stopped, I mean, I stopped all these different places, dotted myself across the country and interviewed program directors. Oh, what a blast. Yeah, I had a blast doing that. Yeah, so that was my first column. You know, I recapped that trip. And then, you know, so it was just, you know, and John was there and he he was, uh, he was an amazing, you know, guy that showed me all the ropes there and he was trying to back out because John Leader was an amazing amazing voiceover artist as you know you know john alfinito yeah oh sure 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 sorry yes absolutely so um you know he was segueing into that in his career and you know so he taught me and i had 14 terrific years there that's amazing so i mean sounds like a perfect gig for you you like chr and uh top 40 and so forth but what was that shift like being you liked being on the air you liked programming what was like all of a sudden working for a publication it was a lot of fun it was just a lot of fun. We got to, you know, I got to go out. I mean, I like meeting artists. I like going to, to shows. You know, people, some people think it's a pain in the ass. I like it. I still do it a lot. And, and, what, and What's the difference? I mean, I know there's obviously big fundamental differences. We're still in the same business. But right. what is the kind of day-to-day difference uh, being a, a writer and uh, editor? Well, it's, 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 you, you've always got your service hat on. I mean, you know, if you're a program director, you're you're in service to your staff. You're in service to your community. That's what radio is. And I was just in in service to a different community. You know, I was I was in service to all the program directors that would call me, want interviews, publish my pictures. Can you you know Can you make me some ink? You know, I lost my job. You got any, you know where any openings are? I like doing that stuff. You are a phenomenal people person. I don't know oh, if there's you. anyone better than you. Thank you. At, uh, you're great with introductions. You're great with uh, teeing things up. You're, you know, as I mentioned at the beginning, phenomenal at reaching out to people in times they're going through a rough time. So I think you're, you're both, I think you work hard at it, but I also think you were born that way to a degree. I like it. It's like, you know, you, you know, if, if you can do something for somebody, I mean, what, what better day is there than that? That's so admirable. I don't think most people honestly think that way. And I, I love that you, that you do. Yeah. So what, let's talk. I just want a little bit more on the R and R front and then we'll jump in obviously to, uh, to, to all access. Mm -hmm. But what were you, the interview you were most proud of at R and R? Oh gosh. Um, 
I just interviewed so many people over the years. I mean, it's, you know, I, Randy Michaels was one of my favorite interviews. He was just, he was so riding high at that point and he was the king of the world, you know, and, you know, so I'd interviewed him and, you know, I, I interviewed Howard Stern. Oh man, what was that yeah. like? Oh, that was just, you know, as you expect, just as wacky as could be, you know, uh, you know, and I, I talked to probably every major program director at some point during Joel Salkowitz and, you know, Scott Shannon was my sure. friend, you know, and. I mean, when I, when I would go to New York to do business, Scott would be great. He would, uh, he would let me do an hour on his- No yeah, way. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. And so like uh, Elvis Duran was, you know, it, it was a full Saturday afternoon for an hour and Elvis Duran was my board op or, or Kid Kelly. Oh, uh, they're, man, they're, that's they'd hilarious. board out for me. And we'd, and we'd always pick up the songs. We'd pick out the songs that had the longest ramps on them so that we could, you know, <laughs> I could talk more. <laughs> hit, hit the post. That's oh, awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. And I, remember Steve, and I remember Steve Kingston called me up one day, and he was the program director. He, was, he, he continued to, uh, that tradition on from Scott. And uh, we did, I, came out of, I came out of a commercial set, ran a bed, ran a winner. Back timed that, uh, back timed all that into life is a highway, <laughs> and and he's and he called me. He says, he says, "What the hell are you doing on my radio stations? We don't talk that much up here." <laughs> <laughs> I said, "Oh, I said, I guess you can either like find me or you know not have me back again." <laughs> but That's, you know, you have some of those air checks. No, I don't think uh, I got oh, lost in the fire. So, I want to, you know, I want to get there in a second. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. in the next chapter, yeah. I will tell you a funny. I'll tell you a funny Scott Shannon story, please. Um, you know, Scott Shannon is you know a remarkable human being. I mean, I can't tell you how impressed I am with him as a person and a talent. I remember one day I was up there and and I happened to be up there. It was Randy Kabrick was in the music meeting and Steve Kingston was in the music meeting, and. Um, and we're listening to music and this and that and the other. And he goes like, he said, let, let me hear that record that Jared Blair's up all asses about. <laughs> so, he, so he puts his thing in, you know, on the CD player and he's listening to it, listen to it. He says, he says, Kathy, get, get Jared Blair on the phone. <laughs> Your impression, by the way, is so spot on. It's awesome. So, so he gets in, hi, Scott. He said, what do you think of like that Harry and the Hubcaps record? He says, he says, hey, Jerry, he says, can you send me another copy? I need a copy with a hook in it and hangs up the phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, some 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 raw wit oh, there man. from him, but you know, a lot of fun stuff. I have got I've so only, ge- this is so geeky, isn't it? Oh, but I <laughs> I love it. Your role, what your role now? I people yeah. you get to meet, I can just I, I could take this in for for days, for yeah. hours. I, I absolutely uh, am fascinated by it, and I have so much respect for Scott. I've only I've met him once, and we've spoken on the phone being. once. Just a great guy. When he was uh, he was very complimentary of some imaging we'd done. This was back when he was still at PLG, mm-hmm. and. Uh, we'd just gotten our deal with Cumulus. And I've got to tell you, in regards to compliments, probably goes down as the top five that yeah. I've ever received in my life, just yeah. to have someone like Scott, who I know is a big imaging guy as well. Mm-hmm. Actually, He loves it. He loves all of it. He loves all of it. And I love all of it too. It's, yeah. uh, so. it's a, a phenomenal story. Man. <laughs> and I appreciate I appreciate you uh, you sharing. Let's talk a little bit more R&R, and then we're going to get all access. Yeah. So at this point, mm-hmm. you're... Obviously, interviewing big artists, big programs. I was doing future hits. Future I was, hits. yeah, I was future hits. Was the show that we. That's came right. Yeah, solid we, gold, yeah, correct? Yeah. You were consulting. I was consulting solid gold, and I was also doing when Lou Irwin uh, left Earth News. Uh, they asked me to come and um, and host it. So I was actually I had two syndicated shows. Oh on, man, so you, you know that probably. Uh, fulfilled some of your desire to be on air oh absolutely yeah. it was a lot of fun you know as i'd get in there and the, i'd get in there on wednesday mornings at 6 a.m and uh <clears throat> and uh the next guy in the studio 
was Casey Kasem. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we were really, we, we, we could do the, uh, we, we would do the show live time. It wasn't this like record tracks and shit. I like to talk up the music. So they gave me ear candy and we would lay it down live time. And if we, if we screwed up, we just, you know, we'd do a splice and, you know, splice sure. the music and re, you know, redo it. So we were really more than an hour and 10 minutes to do a one hour show. In and out. Except one day we were really late. Uh-oh. Casey Kasem, he says, he says, you know, I've got somewhere to go. I've got places to be, people to see. <laughs> and, 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 so, and so anyway, so I had, happened to have a brand new pair of boots that day. And, you know, and Casey, God bless his soul, wonderful guy. He was really jumping up and down and we were late. We were really, okay. he was jumping up and down. So he was like, rah, rah. and he says, and he says, where did you get those boots? He says, some cow died for you to wear those. You know, he was a real big, he was a real big PETA person, you know? I said, wait a minute. So I ran outside to his Mercedes, you know, his Rolls Royce oh that he was God. driving. I said, I said, is, are you sitting on Naugahyde out there? <laughs> I thought he was going to swallow his tongue. <laughs> Because oh, that was leather man. in his car, you know. And oh, I, listen, I have, I have do, do, don't hate on me for doing. Oh, I, no, I, no. Have, I have loved Casey Kasem. He was he, a wonderful human being. As do I. Actually, we used to run yeah. his countdown here when yeah. I was at uh, at K Big, and uh, this was back in the day when it was still coming on CD, if I recall. Yeah. And one of the board ops made the mistake, and you know how you'd have several hours. So you know, CD one was hour one, CD two is hour two, and the board op I think made the mistake of loading up the wrong. <laughs> it, it basically. You know, we were counting down, and so we went, you know, 40 to 30, and then all of a sudden, you know. You were the top 10, right? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And uh, Casey had the warm line number, and he called and just tore into this Mm. poor board op. And I'll never forget the board op calling me, just completely petrified over it. But that being said, um, what Casey has done for our industry. Oh, my gosh. He was unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I've got a tremendous (laughs) amount of respect for his daughter, Carrie, who's. Oh, yeah. uh, she's, She's a great human being. She has done so much for so many people out there. She really and, has, you know, and, and it's easy. I think when you're you have the celeb of uh, of her and her stature, you can get behind anything. Yeah. But she gets behind really worthwhile things. She really does. She uh, she works very hard on it. Yeah, and, she's uh, great. I um, also have another great Casey story. But I remember him. In, he was in some of our commercials this was back before when I was working with Johnny as like mm-hmm. his programming coordinator. But I remember going to his house and he had this beautiful bubbler right. Wurlitzer jukebox. Yeah. And we shot part of our commercial television commercial. Isn't that great? Yeah, yeah. But he was a, he was a classy guy, and he just was. And I get it. I get that way sometimes too. Mm-hmm. He was a detail. Wanted to make sure everything was right. Right. Yeah. Right. So pretty uh, amazing. So let's get into your personal life at okay. this point. Okay. Had you met Rhea? Are you married at this? Uh, yeah, I, I met, uh, I'm, I was, uh, I, I was, um, when I got to LA, I had um, met um, a beautiful young woman and um, we got married. Her name was Kathy and uh, it didn't work out, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, so I was a single man again and um, I was uh, living out in, Paradise Cove at a, in a double wide. Which no, was, you which, lived in that? Yeah, I Are did. you serious? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, we had that was with Kathy and I had that as a weekend place. So Paradise Cove, just a little bit of background. Uh, it is a very famous place in Malibu. Mm-hmm. And that's where you took me to lunch. Right, right. But there's a trailer park there right. that I believe Pamela Anderson has a place there. Yep. Jim I, Rockford. Jim Rockford used to show uh, the Rockford files from there. Right oh down there in the beach. That geez. was the that was the cele- celebrity part of that place. But and it was a great little restaurant. It was right there at the ocean. This is beachfront, amazing real estate. Yeah. So you lived in this. This is it's 
it, you can look up Paradise Cove and there are all sorts of stories yeah. and it's mm-hmm. a celebrity hangout yeah. and it's very unique, very bohemian. Very, it's very bohemian and it's like, you know, there's somebody on our row was cooking meth and, you know, and, <laughs> and there was always a party going and it was like, oh, no, really serious. It was like, they, I remember they did, did a raid there and, you know. Are you serious? No, they really, it was, oh like, my it was, God. It was just down the road from us, you know. But oh, I lived man. in a double wide and I had a, sl- had a slice view of the ocean and I had a blast. It was great, you know, and, and you know, and then I finally... Um, you know, I uh, sold the place and uh, took that money and was in the house that I was in for 31 years until the Woolsey fire took us. So, wow. That okay. was just last year. And I want it. We're going to get into the fire. So you're in Paradise Cove mm-hmm. and you're still at R&R. Right. I'm just trying to get all this right, right. chronologically. Right. You're divorced from Kathy. Right. How do you meet Rhea? Um, I, I met um, I met Rhea. I was, this is really interesting. I was a Raiders t- uh, season ticket holder. Okay. And I was at Paradise Cove and, and Paul Atkinson is was living there, and Paul was the brother to Michael, who was our VP of Sales at R and R. So naturally, we were close. We were two doors down from each other. So I had, I had tickets to uh, the Raiders, and I said, "Let's go to the Raiders." I said, and then we'll go back, to, go to our friend David's house, who was having a party that night. And so we coming back from the Raiders, and we're both starving, just starving. I mean, we'd already eaten a bunch at the at the game, but we we're just still starving again, you know. So I said, "Let's go stop at the at the." Um, uh, the, uh, at the it wasn't Casa Escobar at the time. I'm trying to remember the name of it, but um, it was a, it was a Mexican restaurant. Okay, and they had a band, and so I walk in, and who's playing? But my friend Michael Pritchard and his wife is Carrie Pritchard. Wow, and she's standing next to Rhea, and so that's how I met Rhea, and you know, and it was like, and we met and had lunch and just hung out, and that was it. You know, and we were married for you know for quite a long time. We're, you know, twenty. Uh, we were together twenty eight years. Uh, married twenty six. Incredible, man. Yeah. And so you're still R and R. Yeah, right. And then how do you end up leaving R and R to start All Access? Um, it was just. I mean, it was just time. You know, Bob Wilson was the uh, was the was the returning GM. Uh, actually, he was the owner. And uh, God bless Erica Farber. She was the general manager, and Erica Farber was absolutely awesome to me. It was a period of time up there where I went from being the smartest guy in the room to the stupidest guy in the room. I mean, if, <laughs> I mean everything I said in any meeting was like, that can't be. You know, I went, okay. So yeah, one of my favorite things was Bob got really angry at me in a meeting one time. He says, how come you don't know the answer to that? I said, because I don't. I said, I said, I can make up what for you right now. I said, or I can, you know, after the meeting, I'll get you the information you want. And of course, everybody in the meeting was looking down right. going like, oh, you know. And Sidney Maxwell, who... Uh, who has just joined us and she was in that meeting. She came to me and she says, do you like pissing the fan every day? I said, no, but I said, I just don't, I don't appreciate or suffer stupidity. Uh, I said, so I said, anyway, so we, you know. So you were just kind of starting to feel. It was time to go. It was time yeah. to go. And Erica was wonderful. She really was just great. And I, you know, and I just, and I had had a computer since 1981. So I was very familiar with the AOL instant message boards and all that stuff and the music meeting rooms and stuff. So, I just and we were we were trying to develop our own record detection system, our own version of BDS, and it was failing miserably. And I, you know, I, I brought BDS to Bob, and I said, Bob, we should just, you know, get this. And he was like, It's not perfect. And he said, We'll build our own. And I was like, Okay. Anyway, so I remember at a meeting we had a big crowd, and I was doing a demo, and, the, and it all locked up. <laughs> and I caught so much hell because it was like it had to be operator error, and it wasn't. But um, I mean, it's just locked up. It was a wow. terrible demo. It was incredibly embarrassing. In the middle of the presentation. Yeah. So I just knew it was time to go. And um, I'd heard they were going to hire Tony Novia. 
Okay. And, um, and I, and Eric and I had a meeting and I said, so I said, I hear you're bringing in Tony Novia. And she was like, <gasps> I said, yeah, I said, I know that's okay. Man. And so, and we had a good parting at okay. a really good party. And we're still friends to this day. I mean, you know, she, sure. cause she comes and comes to our events and all that stuff. And, uh, she was very gracious. And I just had this idea about where the internet was going and the internet was, was not even on anybody's radar at that point. No, man. I mean, geez, 95. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, what is this? 94 yeah. when you're leaving? I, I left it. I left just before Thanksgiving, 1994. So yeah, yeah. I mean, 94, it's still AOL early right. days. of Exactly. AOL. Oh, very early yeah. days. Yeah. If you got an email, it was like, Ooh, I got oh, I got an email God. today. Yeah. <laughs> today it's like, Oh my God, I can't believe how many emails I've got. <laughs> it's, it's the ugly gift that keeps on giving. So this, yeah. <laughs> isn't that the truth? So you're, Early on to computers in 81, what was that like a Tandy or? No, I actually that? had an IBM clone. I actually you had. You did, okay. I had a, a, a hard drive too, a 10 megabyte oh hard drive. Jeez, <gasps> that probably cost a fortune back then. $5,000. Oh my. Which was a lot of money back then. Yeah, that's a lot of money like, today, but yeah, it's, it's like. like 15 grand a day or something. Oh, yeah. Same, yeah. And uh, the guy said to me, he says, what are you going to put on all of that? That's, that's like a whole Encyclopedia Britannica. I said, oh, I'll figure it out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So now, are you freaked out in November well, two thousand or ninety uh, four? No, I'm because I'd already had this plan. I mean, I you know when I when when I I saw the end coming, and this happened in September, so I had three months to plan because I agreed to stay aboard and help train Tony. Jeez, man, that was professional of you. Yeah, but it's like you know I love Tony and I love that place, and you know Eric and my I had a, had a really good you know understanding about it. She was a pro, I was a pro, and it worked out fine. You know, I think, I think when you, you know, you, you, you raise the bar for yourself, other things, you know, all boats rise. It's like, you know, yeah. it's hard to argue with somebody that's, 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 you know, going, yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. No problem. Your professionalism and your outlook is very interesting. And I, again, back to, I admire it. I think I would have some, the, this feeling, the butterflies about still, I'm losing my gig, my regular paycheck, and I'm betting on something that is so early, early days. <laughs> and did you even know after you left where your next paycheck was going to come no, from? No, uh-uh. I had a nice severance. Okay. You know, and I was still doing future hits. Okay, so, I mean, so I you had a side hustle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't down eating ramen noodles, you know, so it was All good. Right. <laughs> and Rhea, what is Rhea doing? Rhea was uh, working at a law firm at that point. Okay. And then, you know, and she was, uh, she was in the computer department. And, oh, so she had a technical background. Uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. different different side of it, though. You know, got it. So, got it. Yeah. and she was supportive. Oh yeah, she goes, "Whatever you to do, it's like fine with you know." And uh, so she set up the accounting department at at All Access, and you know, she was uh, she was operations really basically. She was co founder in operations. You know? Yeah, and I love and, and make, HR. <laughs> okay, yeah, no, all big big responsibilities. And I love that you always make a point that she's the co founder. Oh, yeah, of, uh, of all access. Absolutely. So early days of all access. You take this leap. What does this look like? Um, it it looks like I've um, probably lost my mind. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's um. I mean, I remember, I remember the guys over at Hits Magazine, you know, uh, uh, wrote when I left, they went, how the mighty have fallen, you know, and it was, Are you serious? Oh, oh no, it was really funny. It was oh, like, man. And I don't have a problem with that. And, you know, Jerry, you know, Jerry Cagle, who was over at Network 40, he, you know, he took a couple of shots at me and man. stuff like that. And it was like, you know, I just didn't care. Um, you know, I knew, I mean, it, when we signed the site on, you know, first couple of days of October of 1995, and you know, we went into business in January of 1995. You know, I started calling radio stations about music and promoting music. And uh, 
because it was a good way to get cash in the door. And I had my sure. first meeting um, about the site in June of 95. Okay. Who's there right now? It's you, it's Rhea, it's just it's the two me, of you? It's, it's the two of us and Candy Clutch. Candy. Do you remember Candy Clutch? I Candy don't. Clutch, yeah, she's a great lady. She's a terrific personality, and she was she was calling radio with me and helping me, you know, and stuff like that. What's and, your sale to Candy? Like, come work with us. Oh huh? yeah, she was out of a job. She okay. didn't care. Come to California. He's like, you know, so you know, any so it was it was an easy sell. So and then and she knew computers too. So this had to have been, I'm sure, a tremendous investment to build a site at that. It's not cheap today, but even then, back then, it was it was it was nowhere. I mean, it was nine pages big. It was nothing. Okay, but it just took forever because. You know, things didn't move as fast. And if you made an art change, you'd have to like make the change. It would say it would take, you know, 20 seconds to save. Sure. And it would take another 20 seconds to render. Got it. You know, it was slow. So we started working on the project in June. And by September, we had it. And I acquired the all access domain and we launched it and it was up. And I mean, it just got around. I mean, sure. I was talking to people on the phone about it. But I mean, when people like Jeff Capucci and um, Cubby Bryant and people like that found us the first week and were like calling me going like, oh, I can't believe this. This is great. I went, oh, I got something here. So you knew right away. that I really did know something right away. That's so cool. What's that feeling like? That was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it was great. It was a lot of fun. It was like, you know, it was like, okay. I hadn't lost my mind. <laughs> so, so you and Candy are calling radio. Rhea's helping run right. operations uh-huh. in the back end. Right. Mm-hmm. And you're, who's your first client? Um, first client. All right. Well, I can't remember on the record side. who Bill Ford Drescher, who was, who was in. He was very early. Um, uh, Bob Catania was in very early. In fact, I'll give Bob Catania, who's still my dear friend to this day. When I went to New York, um, uh, and, and, um, this is when he was at Island? Yeah, he was at Island. No, he was at Geffen at that point. Okay. And uh, he was the first guy to give me a, a you know weekly advertising contract. Amazing. So, yeah. How did that go down? It was great. We just met at a, uh, a, a place for breakfast. And he says, so I wanted to have you here. He says, because he says, I really like what you're doing with the site. And he says, and I'd like to be up on that site every week. And I went, okay. Holy moly. So I walked out of there with a, you know, I knew we had something. And then. I, uh, I, back then, you know, nobody had a computer on their desk in 95, 96. You know, my first trip to New York was like I had an IBM ThinkPad 1. Right. And it was still dial up. Jeez. And uh, so, you know, everybody had a PBX system in their office. And so where did I do my demos? At fax machines. Because it was the only place was a real yeah, dial sure, phone. Sure. So I remember doing the, doing the demo for, for, um, uh, for Greg Thompson. He was running the Lecter Records at the time. Okay. And he's like, you know, we're talking about how slow the thing renders. And I said, he said, he says, but he says, God, the content's great. And and so it was, and he kept going, he says, Jesus, can't that thing, he says, it just takes forever to see. I said, yeah, I said, you got a slow line here. So I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we were at, we were at 5,600 baud back then. Yeah. We're now, we're talking about gigaspeed. Yeah, now. right. I mean, you know, right. I mean, it took some 5G, patience. It really yeah. did. It really did take some Oh, I patience. remember like when you upgraded to 14.4, that was like a huge oh, deal. Oh, yeah. You know, like that it was, was double. Yeah. It was a double, you know. So um, anyway, so, I mean, finally, he, you know, people were lining up to get use the fax machine. And so he says, he says, he says, look, he says, he says, can you unplug that? He says, I'll give you a contract. He says, but these people need this fax machine. I went, sure. <laughs> so I, walk, I walked out of there with two yearly deals. Amazing. And then, and then Mark Gorlick was running MCA, sure. and he gave me a yearly deal, and we were off to the races. Amazing, man. And so are you profitable year one? No. 
Okay. We, we lost about 30 grand first okay. year. But that's still, that's, yeah. that's amazing. It wasn't terrible. Yeah, not mm-hmm. terrible at all. Mm-hmm. You have any investors or you bootstrapped it? Bootstrapped it. Still bootstrapping it today. That's amazing. Any, yeah. I mean, as a kid, obviously you had this sense <clears> of adventure <throat> at right. such a young age to, I, I think, go knock on a radio station and call into stations. It takes a lot of guts to move around the country like you did. Your mom, she raised you with a lot of confidence? I had to. My father died when I was 10. Oh man, I didn't know that. Yeah, and my mom got sick. And, um, you know, so I was like, I was knocking around in the house by myself pretty much, you know, for, you know, for a while while she was in the hospital. So I was like coming and going and doing and, you know, social services was not aware of it. So I just, I just left unattended. You know, my Aunt Tilly, she took care of me a little bit. You had to grow up really fast. Yeah, I did. You had a lot of responsibility, I'm sure, that your mom put on you. Mm -hmm. What did your dad pass away of? I was 10. No, 1963. Jeez, man. I'm sorry. What was that to lose your father at such a young age? It was pretty bad. It was really, he and I were good buds, and uh, he was a really wonderful guy. And, uh, you know, he was, uh, I wish I'd known him longer. Think you'd be proud of you today? I hope so. Yeah. I'm sure, man. I mean, to have the success that you've had and the reputation that you have. So you're all access, things are taken off. It's the yeah. uh, the late 90s now. Right. And are you start, is the growth really starting to become oh, substantial? Oh, it was, it was substantial by the second year. I mean, we exponentially, you know, we were adding, you know, Sean Alexander, who was at R&R and uh, he, got, he got purged out of there. And I said, come on over here, let's do alternative. So that was, he, that was the first format expansion we did beyond okay. top 40 and then. It was just oh, so that's how that happens. You yeah. just kind of added formats. We've actually uh-huh. did the same thing on the library side. Yeah. I remember we started with four and then a fifth. Yeah, and a sixth exactly. And so, so, you know, and we just grew it as we, as we, there was support for it. Now, did Rhea leave her job at the law firm? She eventually did, yeah. And so now you two are running this thing mm-hmm. full time. Yep. And it just continues. I mean, every year, have you had any years that you were freaked out as far as? Oh, we've had some, we've had some years where we're like, oh, geez, you know, it's like. Uh, you know, when, when the business has a hiccup, we have a hiccup. Sure, sure. You know. So the recession, 2008. Oh, yeah, that was yeah. bad, you know. And it's like, you know, we're really dependent upon um, the number of releases that come out. And this year, it was like there was, it was either the NFBs, I call them no freaking brainers, or it was nothing. I mean, and there are a lot of labels that slow their releases down because they just didn't find a slot. They couldn't find, you know, for a new band. I mean, they shelved a lot of stuff this year. Interesting. Yeah. How does that, now that side of the business, I honestly don't have uh-huh. a lot of knowledge right. on. So does it work similar to the film business and that they're looking for kind of the right space? In yeah, between? I mean, it's every radio station has a number of slots. Sure. You know, and it depends on their format and their competitive environment and what they feel that their audience, I mean, some audiences are slower than others. New York, LA, you know, uh, Chicago, Miami, very active audiences. You know, places like big, even big markets like Charlotte, North Carolina, my friend John Reynolds, who runs the uh, Beasley Cluster down there. He says, nice people, slow. They're just slow to, as a, as a community, latch on to newer things. Okay. So he exposes stuff slower down there. Got it. And, Got and it. right now, because of PPM, which is the, you know, the, the ratings currency, sure. uh, you know, it doesn't reward being early. Yeah. Because the way the technology is. You know? So it's harder for the record companies off at the break. break yeah. New. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it, the, the business has changed a lot. It really has. And there's also, it seems to be a lot of compression between, you know, hot AC, AC, CHR, a lot of the formats mm-hmm. from I've been out of it a little over a decade now, but uh, you know, seem to be stepping on each other more so than well. One. It's it's like in, um, best ex- one of the best examples I can give is KHKS in Dallas, which is an amazing radio station. Patrick uh, Davis is, and Pitch Soul have done a terrific job down there, and Kelly Kibler, she's the she's the uh, you know, 
cluster president. Sure. And yet next next door to them, KDMX, Jay Shannon is running Top 40 Light. They call it Hot AC, but he doesn't play anything with a thump to it. Okay. And they have a formula as to when they decide to cross a record from Pop 2 top to Hot AC or from Hot AC. And it's not a hard and fast formula, but I mean, they've got it figured out. They flank each other is basically what they do. It's what we used to do with uh, K-Big and Coast and Kiss right, at the time. Right, exactly. Yeah. Which I think to some degree makes a lot of sense for a cluster environment and oh, yeah. from a business standpoint, but I don't know if the listener gets the best experience because of that. You know, it's, I mean, they come, listen, even more than ever today with streaming, what do people come to to radio for today? They come to radio first and foremost, it's local. It's got something going on. You can hear what's going on in the marketplace. You can hear yeah. the commercials. You get a sense of the vibe. You may even have an affinity for the on-air person. Mm-hmm. And it's the best curated list of music, period. It is. I agree. It's just that that is what, that is what local live radio is supposed yeah. to be about. Always has been about, but even more so today. I agree. And- and they've tightened it down a lot more too. So I mean, it used to be forty slots, and then it became you know thirty five slots, and now it's like you know, on a Kiss FM, it can be twenty three, twenty four current records, and they get played over and over. And, right. and the rotations are bigger now. There's you know sometimes you can hear a song one hundred and forty times a week yeah, on a top. Those 40. rotations are insane. Yeah, I but mean, the point is it it matches the technology that measures audience yeah, consumption, yeah. and that's you have to do it that way. Yeah. So. So that makes your job in return, or the label's job, and then your job in return a little bit harder. Oh, just, definitely. Yeah. Is, you know, but I mean, there's all these no-brainers that come out, like you know, Halsey releases a record, it goes. You know, Post Malone releases a record, it goes. Even week the weekend who hasn't had a record out for a year and a half, he just you know, Republic did a great job. They blew it out, and you know, got a lot of you know, Harry Styles. Columbia just did a terrific job putting Harry Styles' brand new one up there. His new song "Adore Me" it had a hundred and. 80 ads in one week. Amazing. It's unbelievable. But the point is, that's while that's all great, it stops new artists from, from having a slot. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think it's probably harder than it ever has for a new yeah. artist. Also, I've noticed with the labels, or I'm sorry, the artists, I guess, and the labels, they're doing single after single after single. Right. There mm-hmm. used to be a lot more time in between these singles. Yeah, they don't do that anymore because it's like you want to keep the audience there. You want to keep the momentum there. And the other thing that, that dictates timetable is the streaming. The DSPs decide, oh, we're gonna we're starting to pick up a vibe on this next track here. We're going to put it up there because they don't really care. Because that's kind of a indicator on the right. streaming and what's exactly. going to happen. On exactly. Track. And it's like, you know, I think, you know, while it's more competitive than it's ever been because of the streaming and consumption numbers, and if you know what your audience wants, you can fish through the stuff that doesn't fit and you can see the new stuff that makes some sense. And, you know, and it's just, it's just tough. So today they, they not only measure success of, a, of music by call-out research, which is really a look three weeks backwards. I've not, not been a fan of call-out for years. Um, Shazam, which is right. like, and, and all Shazams are not created equal. Sometimes yeah. it's just to find out, the hell is that? I'm not listening to that again. Sure. You don't know. And, and, and Apple, since buying Shazam, has reduced the amount of public granularity they give you on, on, on data now. So you can't, oh. it's, just, it's, it's become a lot less. It's, so you look at it as a, as a gross number versus a granular number I now. See. You still be able to get a lot of zip code breakouts. Yeah. You can't do that. Now. So, do you think all this data that we now have and <laughs> analytics that are at our fingertips that we could probably uh-huh. not even dream of 20, 25 oh, years absolutely. ago, before we start all access, do you think that's actually a better thing for the industry? Or well, it- I mean, it's like it, it's still you know every stream, every song's got twenty million streams and every song's got twenty million views. And what does that mean? I mean, what's the index it goes up against? You know what I'm saying? Is like you know, 
you know, what's the retention on those? I mean, do we do we know what at what point during the song they they decide to leave the song? Is there a pattern to that? I mean, there's all kinds of things that I mean, I could sit there and talk about and babble about here that yeah. you know, but I mean, it, there's data and I'm, you know, I'm not a numbers guy. I don't like numbers that much. I mean, it's just very, you know, it's like <laughs> look at a spreadsheet makes my eyes go crazy, but I do it. But the point is um, you know, it's interpreting data. And that's what it comes down to. And you have to have to look at your market. You have to understand what your audience expects to hear on your radio station. And the thing that drives that should be at a pop station, pop culture. And whether you like the song or don't like the song, doesn't really matter. If you're really programming it to your audience, you put that stuff on. And sometimes it will change the complexion of your radio station. And then there's a lot of people that have this mental boundary no we're not playing that because it's too something it's a case of the twos it's too fast it's too slow right. it's too rappy it's too country it's too soft it's too hard i mean you hear all that all day long sure and at the end of the day none of that really matters what matters does the audience like that record does the audience like that song that's what matters it's a uh tremendous amount of insight right there i think there's only a handful of people that have had the experience that you've had programming on air and then to now be on the other side of it and i know people have crossed over from oh, yeah. radio to records yeah. but to have the extensive experience that you've had to program in major markets to run now the the, the world's biggest uh, radio and uh, music uh, news site i only know you and uh, it's kind of cool to have that perspective um, because I think sometimes myself being a programmer and not having the experience that you've had on obviously the R&R and all access side, you start to kind of look through this lens and I think people get fearful of making mistakes and you get afraid to add a record because, uh, you know, God forbid. Uh, yeah. it's, it's, you know what it is, it's, and, and, and some of it is just dictated by, you know, corporate culture. I mean, you're afraid to add something because you're afraid of going, why did you put that on? Yeah. You know, and, you know, they keep scores. And if your ratings have a wobble, right. they can point to that. Now, look at the five stiffs you play. Jeez, what were you thinking? Guess you weren't thinking. You know? Yeah, <laughs> it's like, yeah, yeah. And it's, there's yeah. all that out there, you it's know. A whole, a whole gut. Want to get a few more personal questions, okay. if you don't mind. Sure. And I appreciate you being open with me. And if yeah. any of these are over the line, just tell me to to shut up. But uh, <laughs> um, I know Rio was a huge part of your life. Right you know fill me in i'm so sorry that you lost her so yeah. young um how did that impact you both you know professionally and personally oh it was you know it was like watching a um a slow moving freight train and being tied to the tracks and watch that light get bigger 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 until it just hit you um you know she was uh, she was type 1 diabetic and i knew that you know we had a conversation when we first met she goes like you know i'm probably going to die before you she says we hang out and i, I was just she says are you in i said i'm in and was right you know um people that have type 1 diabetes it's a it's a terrible disease you look okay on the outside and inside it's chewing you up it just screws with your kidneys it screws with your circulation system circulatory system and it you know you have neuropathy you know pain in your feet pain in your hands sometimes nerve pain and uh you know it hit and it hit everything with her i mean name name a symptom name a uh, a byproduct um, problem with it, and she had it. And just I just watched her over the last decade just fall apart. Oh man, I am you know, so sorry. Yeah. How do you go on to operate the business as you're going through this? And 
Yeah, you know, you have a great staff. I mean, I love my staff. They're terrific people, and they're just wonderful friends and colleagues and stuff. And, you know, I had a lot of times where I was out, you know, for a couple of days at a stretch taking care of her. She was in the hospital. She had had a quadruple bypass. Um, you know, she'd had um, a lot of work on her foot that kept getting infected. I mean, it's just, these are real problems. These are real issues. Sure. You know, she had, um, she couldn't come to work for a long time. Um, so she, you know, worked at home because she had in-care nursing, couldn't walk on her foot. She had a, um, a port in her, you know, to take the antibiotics. So it was quite a bit, you know, so, but, you know, I was primary care and, um, you know, I embraced it and, uh, you know, I feel good about everything that happened. You know, we, we, you know, her family was terrific and very supportive as well too. And, and very close friends were, and, uh. You know, we just sort of watched it happen. Do you think losing your father at a young age helped you understand death or have a... Oh, yeah. Well, my mom took her own life, too. Oh, man. Yeah, she did that uh, right after uh, Rhea and I got married in 1989. Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, she was chronically depressed. And, you know, she made three attempts at it. And, you know, third time was was what she wanted. My God, man. I am... Your life is just you've been through these extreme, I've not come close to living the life that you, you have had and to be as positive as you are to go through your father and your mother. How old you said, right after you had married mm-hmm. Rhea? Yeah, she so, was just in her seventies and she was very healthy. Otherwise, you know, she just wasn't happy, you know, and the thing I learned, and I took some therapy after that. Cause it was like, geez, what, you know, cause we had her living with us at, for a while and she tried an attempt at the house. It was, pretty messy and uh, you know and, and I went for some therapy because it was like <clears throat> what could I have done and the thing I took away from that therapy was that you can't make someone want to live you just can't you can put a band-aid on it you can give them therapy you can give them you know comfort you can give them you know tough love there's all kinds of things you can do but at the end of the day people make that choice and while I was unhappy I'm still not happy that it happened I've I've forgiven her for it. I don't, I'm not angry at her. Um, it's just something she chose to do. You are so in, incredibly balanced. How do you, do you think it's in you innately to get up with the positivity that you have? Oh, I think it is. Yeah, I'm, I'm basically a positive person. Um, it puts people off sometimes. They go like, how can, you're not real. You're kind of like, no, this is me. But I think you have a choice every day get up and see how you see the world and see what you're going to make of it that day. And I really am firmly convinced that if you get out of bed and don't dread it that you're tired and just shake all that stupid stuff off, just stop. Stop babying yourself. Get out there and do it and put the best, your, put the best version of yourself you can forward. And I really believe that pays off. And you don't do it for the payoff. You do it because... It just works. It's like, do you want to be a miserable person or do you want to be a happy person? It's a, not, it's, it's a no-brainer choice to me. Awesome advice. Man. Yeah. I, um, my mother has Parkinson's and I'd read a few years back the um, Michael J. Fox book and mm-hmm. he has in there a great quote that optimism is a force multiplier. Yeah, it really is. I mean, if you go into a meeting, you can have the best product in the world. You go in there cocky and full of yourself. Are you going to make a sale? Are you going to make a sale going and like, let me show you how this could benefit you. Yeah. You know, and, and understand that, you know, your impressions and your opinions 
matter least. It's what the other person thinks that matters most. So you're recently engaged. Yes. You've uh, known Kim. You met Kim where? Who I've met now a couple times and yeah. phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal uh, lady. We were introduced uh, through an actual introduction service, not an online thing, but okay. an actual thing where they you know, do a long interview and they do a background check and all that stuff. And we had one date and just didn't stop. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. No, she's a, yeah. a fantastic lady. Yeah, and she is. So happy. Yeah. Um, and uh, obviously, in, it, you've gotten, after losing your father uh -huh. at such a young age, your mother, yeah. uh, Rhea, in probably the fire wasn't as big of a deal as it would. Not that it's not a huge deal, oh, but it's... it's you know, it, I mean, it's, it's really interesting. We, uh, we were... Um, when we got evacuated out of Malibu, we drove to uh, Kim's parents' house down in Huntington Beach. And I got down there and uh, I realized, geez, the only thing I have is with me is a couple of clothes and, you know, that's it. And um, and so we were we were in Coles when we found out. I got a text from a neighbor. They said that their house didn't make it. And that was just, we, and I, and I immediately just, you know, I just said, I went to work and I called my business people and I said, we lost the house. Let's get the insurance going. And we were the first ones in at that insurance company to get going. So, and we're still today, I mean, going through the red tape of, you know, submitting new plans and, you know, insurance. This. I mean, the insurance company has been great about it, but they're just, yeah, they have to check boxes and, you know. Sure. And this has been over a year now. Oh yeah, over a year. So we're hoping to get framing going. We're hoping to get approved very soon for our plans and um, hopefully get uh, the new foundation laid in. And then once the new foundation laid in, the structural engineer comes in and looks and goes like, okay, we're going to put steel here, here, and here. Then we order the steel, and the steel's mounted. And then after that, finally after that, they fart, they start putting woods up, you know, putting wood in. Right. You know, so sticks, so they call it. So let's put some sticks up. <laughs> <laughs> and your outlook, yeah. the story that you've had, quick little background though. Yeah. I know you lost everything, your air checks that you just right. mentioned earlier, but I think you had told me or someone had told me that you had gotten your first gold record mm -hmm. and someone replaced it. You lost it in oh, the fire. No, it's, you know, Kim, um, you know, she was living with those things downstairs in the, you know, in the, in the uh, entertainment part of the house. And um, she got together with some of my friends and, you know, and found out, you know, which they all remembered them too from being over there a whole lot. And she went and got 10 replacements for me amazing wow i mean just it was an amazing gift you know so you know they're all stored so that when we move back into the new house i can put them up you know so. what's the one thing from the fire that you've you've learned about uh, yourself i guess or just in general well the first thing i'll give everybody is like take a video of the house just walk around with your your iphone or your android and just take a video you know stop at everything you know i lost you know tons of cds and five, 6,000 albums and some, you know, amazing photos that I always go, yeah, I'll digitize them one day. Yeah, I'll do that one day. Do it. Wow. And and also too, you know what I also learned? Don't save a great bottle of wine either. Just drink it. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, what are you saving it for? A fire? <laughs> so. Oh man. Well, I am uh, sorry you had to go through yeah. that, but uh, yeah, again, listen, you know, you it's all you, you listen it's all you can do is just get up and swing the bat every I, day that's all i'm looking at my notes and uh the, the one thing i forgot to and i should have mentioned this earlier how did the worldwide radio summit come to be and let oh, me before you yeah. go in there yeah what an amazing event man oh, that has you. become just a flagship event for us uh, uh we appreciate your support so greatly gonna be thank i you. believe we were met with paul the other day yeah. to do a walkthrough well two things and i'll let you get into the story yeah. at, uh, at the castaway but it's going to be our ninth iron imager this year which right. is 
crazy to me, but been a phenomenal success and you guys have been such a huge part of that. Thank but you. Uh, number two, I owe you an apology and I want to put it on the record because uh, I was anti you moving to the castaway, <laughs> but it actually turned out to yeah. be absolutely amazing. And yeah. we just did our walk through uh, the other day with Paul and we're excited Great. to be a sponsor again yeah. next year. So how did it come about? You know, Sat called me up one day, Sat Bisla. Um, it was his idea his name. And he says, Hey, he said, we're looking for a partner on this. He says, what do you think? And we talked for about an hour and it was done. <laughs> it was just that. And we've collaborated on all that stuff. And, uh, you know, and he does the production and then uh, this year he took a step back and he no longer wanted to partner with us uh, because it was just a lot of work. You know, he has a smaller staff and I respect that. And he's been absolutely terrific and, you know, giving us some um, guidelines on a, and some wisdom and knowledge, you know, some stuff that I didn't know from doing this. And we hired, um, a fabulous lady, Jacqueline Lennon, used to produce the R&R events, the R&R convention. So she's got, you know, that's what she does for a living. Amazing. And so she stepped right in and uh, up to the bat, and we're three months out. And, uh, you know, we're excited. We're doing the golf, we're doing the golf tournament again this oh, year. Oh, good, good. I was going to yeah. ask you about yeah, that. Yeah, we are doing a golf tournament. We haven't announced it yet, but we, we've sort of mentioned it, you know, in our marketing. But yeah, Beata is from Kiss FM as our chairperson. Oh, which terrific. Which is exciting. Yeah. So, um so we're doing that, and uh, well, you know, that event's taken on a life of its own. Thanks, and yeah. uh, you know we have, we have Bob Pittman speaking this year. I saw that; that's yeah, exciting. Yeah, and last year we had Tom Pullman, and it's like you know we're just you know we're just trying to answer the call out there. We've we've changed the agenda quite a bit. We have a lot of new sessions this year. We have two music sessions this year, talking about some of the stuff that you and I are talking about here today about you know streaming versus you know domestic radio and how the different there's a difference between the consumption charts and the rotation charts, and why is this, and you know what. You know, there's a lot to be discussed. We have a syndication session. This oh, year. awesome. Good. Yeah. I'm excited about that. Yeah, no, you have... do a, a great job with the panels. You do a great job with the entire event, the parties. I mean, it's really from the from the start to the end, it is a top notch. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. And you we're know, gotta thank, got to thank my staff because they're in there swinging it with me. It's like, you know, <laughs> uh, don't give Paul and Matt too much credit. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Man, it has been a pure pleasure. Oh, having thank you. you. And thank you so much for sharing all, all the personal things. And sorry if uh, I was evasive with some of the, not evasive, what's the right? Um, I got, I, I want to know something. I, I promised you I was going to, you know, you're not getting out of here with an answer. <laughs> Chachi, where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, you know, if you don't know, this guy's yeah. name is Dave Dennis, but he's got this nickname Chachi. It's, where did Chachi come from? So I'm down in San Diego uh -huh. and my first job was at KFMB and it was Star 100.7 at the right, time. Right. And you, of course, I'm sure you remember Michael Steele. Sure, yeah. And Michael is who gave me my very first break in radio. I, I love delivered a pizza to the radio station and uh, just... Met him, um, got very fascinated, much like you did with radio. I was going to school at the time. And so we became friends and I was having some parties. Um, and so I'd invite him you know, to a couple of those and we became, uh, became friends. And eventually he hired me to answer phones. And as I just kind of moved uh -huh. on or moved up, I became a sidekick and Tracy Johnson and Michael gave me that name. That's and a great name. Cause it, it stands out. It was in the mid nineties. This is right. night. Actually you had just started all access. I started in 96 uh -huh. and, uh, the station was a hot AC. So they were right. appealing to women in their thirties at right. that point which grew up watching Happy Days. That's funny. And that's where the name came to uh, came yeah, from. But, but just a little bit about this guy right here doing this interview. He has built a terrific company. Benstown has so much respect and so much love out there. Great clients, great product. Um, 
You guys are just a first-class operation. I don't say that just because you're here, but you really have built, uh, you know, an iconic brand in our business. So everybody talks about Benstown, and you know, there's a lot of a lot of other great companies out there, but you have carved your own niche in a very busy sector. You Thank know, you, man. You guys do terrific production and imaging and voiceovers and all kinds of stuff. So that means it means a ton coming from you, so. and I think much like you, and I know we we're joking about Matt and Paul earlier, but it. It so much of it comes down to the team that you have around you, yeah. and I've been very blessed to have uh, guys like Kevin here. That's uh, that's our, our producer, um, employee number four. Our, wow. Yeah, I mean, so been, that's been with us from almost the very beginning. But uh, great partners, great clients, yeah. people like you know. You said Bob believed in you very early on, and Gorby yeah. believed in you very early on, and uh, I remember you know. Um, uh, Pat Bond and Gary Wall coming in mm-hmm. and asking us to work with them on the Jack format, right. and that being kind of like, oh my God, this is right become real. I know, isn't that great? It isn't is. that great? Yeah, but you've got a, you know, you've been here, you've been in business eleven years now, and it's like, wow, yeah. that's really big. That's really yeah. big, my friend. Well, thank congratulations you, my friend. to you too. May we make it to twenty five? Yeah, like, man, uh, you will. Access. Not a worry about that. <laughs> Thanks so much, buddy. All right, my really man. appreciate. Thank it. you for your time today. Thanks for the opportunity to do this. Anytime, man.